0: Welcome to the show. Today we have on Dr. Donald Hoffman. He's a cognitive psychologist and science author. And Hoffman studies consciousness, visual perception, and evolutionary psychology using mathematical models and psychophysical experiments. Uh, He has a book out now called The Case Against Reality, and we're going to discuss this and uh, his theories, but also some of the research that he's working on now. And uh, this is very intellectual, deep stuff. And so if you find some of it's above your head, you're not alone. I often felt that during this conversation, but try to focus on the big picture and understanding the concepts. Dr. Hoffman is clearly a very brilliant guy and he's done some doing some really exciting work. So stick around, check it out. Here we go. So reality, perceptions of reality. So I think the first thing that we can talk about that's kind of basic for I think for most people understand is the mistakes that we're seeing with our perceptions of reality. And like one example you give in the book is the uh, these jewel beetles. So explain that to my audience. Like
1: that's right. So we typically think that evolution would shape us to see the truth, or at least the truth that we need to see, because mm-hmm. that would make us more fit. That seems intuitive. But we have examples in nature where we see quite the opposite of that. Like with the, the jewel beetle, the, the beetles are dimpled, glossy, and brown. Um, the females are flightless. The, the males fly and they search around for females. And when they find an eligible female, they'll alight and mate. But, um, and you might think, well, so evolution has shaped uh, them to know what, what females are. You know, The male beetles know what a female beetle is. But it it turns out that uh, these beetles are in Western Australia and near the outback and in the outback. And so some guys, some Australian guys were throwing out these beer bottles. They called them stubbies into the outback. And they're dimpled, glossy and, and apparently just the right shade of brown to grab the fancy of these beetles. And so the male beetles were just flocking all over the bottles trying to mate. And uh, the the females, the real females, weren't getting anything, so the, huh. the the species almost went extinct. And and notice that the the male beetles are crawling all over these bottles; they have full body contact, huh. and yet they still cannot break the illusion. And so the species almost went extinct, and they they actually you know had to collect the bottles and and do things to help help the the beetles along. So so here we see that the the male jewel beetle was shaped by evolution. Not to really know what females are, but it it was shaped with a sensory trick or hack. Uh, a female is anything dimpled, glossy, and brown, and apparently the bigger the better. So, so that that's, instead of seeing the truth, um, evolution does things on the cheap. It it and that was the first insight that made me start to study this. Was I thought well, evolution might be doing things on the cheap, so maybe we won't see the truth. Maybe. Maybe we'll just have all these tricks and hacks and not the truth at all. And and it turns out that's part of the story, but it's not the deepest part. It turns out there are even much deeper reasons why we're shaped to see basically no aspect of objective reality. So, yeah,
0: and then there's some other things, too, where the um, – like the phantom limb phenomenon is, is kind of an interesting thing that I, I still don't understand this, but people will lose their limbs and then they're feeling like – but uh, there's a limb still there but there's not a limb there so that's some sort of error with this evolutionary thing as well
1: well th- that's right so we might say well look maybe we don't get the truth with vision but surely when i touch things i'm not making that up that i mean mm-hmm. touch is direct contact with objective reality so there we're we're perceiving the truth but the phantom limb phenomenon when when people have for example they lo- lose an arm um m- in many cases they'll They'll complain that they still feel a hand and that often they have pain in the hand and the arm, for example, that, that isn't there. And if you ask them, where's the pain, they'll point to empty space and they feel a pain in empty space. That's where they refer the pain to. And from a neurobiological perspective, one would argue that, that this is because there are areas of the somatosensory cortex um, that, are, that are getting... Bad input or no input, oh. and and so as a result, this is a cortical um, thing. I, I think for deeper reasons that that the brain doesn't even exist when it's not perceived. So so we'd have to go after a, a, a deeper explanation. But 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 if we just stick with a standard neurobiological explanation, the the phantom limb sufferers um, are perceiving uh, a hand. An arm and feeling pain in it, even when in fact there is no hand and arm. So that that's also an illusory perception. And so, so the idea that our senses have been shaped to show us truths about objective reality, um, which is something we all deeply believe. We 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 don't even believe. We just know it's true, right? We just know that that. I mean, how else could it be? It turns out that that we're just we're deeply wrong, and our best evolutionary theory analyses tell us that that's just not the case. We we've been shaped. With, um, essentially a user interface, like your desktop interface uh-huh. or virtual reality headset that you use to play a game. So it, we're shaped with something to allow us to play the game of life. Our senses allow us to play the game of life. But what's really going on is hidden from us because we don't need to know it. Just like if you're playing a virtual reality game uh, with, with automobiles and cars that you're racing and so forth that. <clears throat> You don't really need to know about the diodes and resistors and voltages that you're really manipulating inside some supercomputer. If you had to toggle those voltages to play the game, you couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So the, the VR headsets there to really allow you to play the game without knowing what it is that you're really playing on. But namely, you don't have to know about the the supercomputer and all the software that's in that. And so that's what evolution really did for us. It, it allowed us to play the game of life. And we don't need to know the reality. We just need to, to know the right user interface. And so that's what our senses have been shaped to be.
0: Right. And it's, uh, I mean, it's different for different species. Like uh, the fish, you know, fish can live underwater. Obviously we can't. Um, but now do you think that we were designed that way originally? Because how did we evolve if, if, if like, because I think you said mm-hmm. that in the originally that we could see everything and we could see the full interface and it, and it was, it didn't help us. It was actually would, would destroy us. So then- how did we, did we start there and then evolve over time, or we just designed originally with that interface?
1: Well, in the simulations that some of my graduate students have done on this, using uh, genetic algorithms and so forth, Justin Mark and Brian Marion and other graduate students, what we found is that um, when you just start off with your random genes in, in your simulated creatures, that there's that very low chance that you'll ever get a creature, uh, an, an organism, evolving that, that even has the right genes for seeing the truth. So my my guess is on evolutionary grounds, just using evolutionary theory on its own terms, uh, probably there's never been a a point in history, except maybe some trivial thing now and then by complete accident, where the sensory systems would ever see reality as it is. My guess is that it's never happened. Again, this is just based on evolutionary theory, right? I don't know what the truth is. All, All I'm saying is that when you take evolution by natural selection seriously, this is what the mathematics says. Um, you know, we can argue about whether that's the right theory or not, uh-huh. but, but that's the best theory that scientists have, and so that's the reason I'm I'm studying that theory because we have no better theory than evolution by natural selection, and in particular, um, the mathematical version of it that, that John Maynard Smith came up with, which is evolutionary game theory, and evolutionary graph theory. So so all I'm saying, so I won't be doctrinaire. All else, all I'll say is this: as a scientist, it's just my job to study the best scientific theories we have today. I'm not saying that they're the final word. I'm not saying that they're the truth. But they are the best theories we have today. And the best theory we have today about sensory evolution is very, very clear. The probability is zero that any organism has ever perceived the truth in any way. Now, we may not like that. And, and we may then want to find a deeper theory, but we don't have a deeper theory right now. So this is the best theory we've got. And that's what it means. All <laughs>
0: well, right. So there's the evolutionary that theory. And then um, you say there's also problems with the space time continuum theory. Like the, that's I mean, that's basically what a lot of this stuff is, is talking about. Like the things that we see are not real. So then that means like a lot of the space time theories are are not accurate as well.
1: Right. That's one of the radical implications of this theory from evolution of natural selection. It, it clearly entails that no aspect of our sensory perceptions are telling us the truth. And that includes the, the, the big structure like space and time. Those are also just merely uh, convenient data structures that we evolved to survive. They're, they're not there to show us the truth. And you might say, okay, look, Hoffman is just a cognitive scientist studying this stuff. We're talking space and time. That's, that's the domain of physicists, right? So surely the physicists will put this whole thing to rest. Well, it, it turns out that, no, the physicists are quite on board um, independently. Mm-hmm. They, based on their own theories, namely when they put quantum field theory together with Einstein's theory of gravity, general relativity, they come to the same conclusion that space and time, or Einstein's fusion of space and time into space-time, is not fundamental. So they will say, space-time is doomed. So if you if you just Google the phrase, space-time is doomed, you'll be sent to the uh, uh, videos and so forth of, of physicists who will tell you with great precision why space and time cannot be fundamental, and that includes quantum theory. So quantum theory and the Hilbert spaces of quantum theory are not fundamental either. There's some deeper structure, and they're finding, by the way, the younger physicists um, aren't... Upset about this. This is fun for you know, for the, the new generation of physicists. I mean, space and time has been the framework for centuries, and now they have. They're the first generation of physicists that gets to go beyond space time, and they are finding these beautiful new structures, things called the cosmological polytope and the amplituhedron and associahedron. These are um, these beautiful mathematically uh, defined uh, geometric shapes um, beyond space time. That have no notion of time or space built into them. Technically, they have no notion of unitarity or locality that which we have in space-time. Um, so, so they and they have no notion of Hilbert space in them. So, there's no quantum theory there. So, these are structures beyond space-time and beyond quantum theory. But these structures predict experimental data in space and time, like at the Large Hadron Collider, when you're smashing uh, particles together and seeing what sprays out. You're looking at those kinds of so-called scattering events and, and the amplitudes or the probabilities for those events. These new deep structures give you wonderful, simple computations for them, much simpler than if you do them in space and time. So mm-hmm. the math becomes easier when you let go of space and time, the math becomes easier and they've discovered new symmetries that are true of the scattering events when you, you know, like have two so-called gluons smash into each other and four gluons go sprash, spraying out. There are symmetries in those interactions that you don't really see in space-time, but you do see them once you let go of space-time, so-called dual conformal symmetry. That's true of the scattering data, but you can't see it in space-time. So the physicists are saying space-time is doomed. It's not fundamental in physics. And when you let go of it, all of a sudden, all sorts of new vistas open up that are really exciting, and the younger generation is jumping in and having a good time exploring this new realm. So, so it's, it's over yeah. for space-time, and it's a big party out there.
0: <laughs> well, it's not – but isn't that just space-time, they're just saying – you're saying that's part of the interface, that's very surface, and it goes much deeper. That's what you mean by it's not fundamental, right? Like, that's not the basis of it. This is just part of the interface, and then it goes even below that.
1: That That's exactly right. So so evolutionary theory makes it very, very clear that, that space-time has to be just like our headset, it's like the, the, the headset that we're wearing. It's not fundamental. And then the physicists independently, not thinking about evolutionary theory at all, just based on gravity and quantum field theory and how they interact, have, have concluded that space-time cannot be fundamental. That there has to, And so, the, so it's not fundamental in the sense that there is a much, much deeper structure. It's like we used to think that earth, air, fire, and water were the basic elements, Right. Uh-huh. Well, we discovered they're not we I mean they're they're interesting Earth, air, fire, and water are interesting, but if you 're going to build a theory of everything you're not going to build it on Earth air, fire, and water well that's what's happened with space time. We thought that we could build a theory of everything based on space time, but just like Earth, air, fire, and water, it turns out not to be fundamental and so there's these these new polytopes and these new structures beyond space time that have just been discovered in the last 12 to 15 years. This is brand new stuff. It's, it's very, very new. But the interesting thing is they're, they're not finding any dynamics. They've just got these static shapes right now. There's no notion of who, who ordered them, why are they there, why are they capturing everything that we know about in space and time? There's no dynamic, there's nothing dynamical about them in any sense. How, so so they, we don't know see what it's them about.
0: Or something, can they see these shapes in a, with a microscope or how do they, how do they even see them? Or no? Oh so wow, there. so
1: they're in high dimensions. So they're beyond four dimensions in many cases. Um, so so they're, they're, the way they're finding them is mathematics. They're discovering these structures mathematically and they're proving that these structures actually compute the scattering amplitudes correctly and show you new symmetries that aren't there so the 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 flashlight into the dark beyond space-time is mathematics and these these brilliant geniuses and and so Nima arkani hamed uh Maldacena, and and lots of people that are working with them uh, all of whom are saying those two guys are saying space-time is doomed uh, Nathan Seiberg is saying that, David Gross. There's a bunch of physicists who are, are very, very famous who are saying space-time is doomed, and they're, they're using mathematics to discover structures beyond space-time, and they, they know they're onto something when they can take those structures and project them back into space-time and get back what we know is, is true within space-time. Okay. Right, and true of the experiments we can do within space-time.
0: So some of the things that w- we do know a little bit about, like the black holes and the wormholes, what is going on there? Then is that is that a a, a mistake in the interface, or?
1: Well, so black holes are really one of the big hints that space time is doomed. So, so I'll, I'll just go into it just a little bit. Um, okay. So, the, what the physicists will point out is that um, when you want to f- study at smaller and smaller scales, what you're seeing in space time, like you want to use a microscope to look down to see things you can't see at a smaller scale. What you have to do is use light that has smaller and smaller wavelengths, right, to resolve the smaller and smaller stuff. Well, with quantum theory, that's no problem. You can just make smaller and smaller wavelengths as much as you want. The energy goes up. You know, the, the smaller wavelengths of light have more and more energy. Um, so you, you, you have to put more energy. But but in principle, if you had enough energy, you could go as small as you wanted. But gravity is the party pooper here because mm. as soon as you – start getting more and more energy into a smaller, smaller space because you're getting these finer wavelengths of light. Einstein tells us that that energy is equal to mass, e equals mc squared. And so you're getting more and more mass concentrated into a smaller area. And once you get enough of it, you create a black hole. So all of a sudden you can't, you're trying to see something really small and all of a sudden you've destroyed it. Now, hmm. and, and if you say, well, I'm going to try to go smaller and smaller, I'll put more energy, you know, smaller, smaller wavelengths. The black hole just gets bigger and bigger, bigger. So effectively, what, what happens is we, we know when space time ceases to make sense. It's precisely at uh, around 10 to the minus 33 centimeters. And, and that's not very deep. I would be impressed if it was 10 to the minus 33 trillion, but it's only 10 to the minus 33 centimeters. This doesn't go very deep. So beyond that, the very notion of space time, space and time, so time is at 10 to the minus 43 seconds. So it's not that there are pixels of space and time. It's not like there's some kind of digital surface that we're reaching. It's rather that the very idea of space, time or space and time simply don't make sense. There's no operational meaning to them. There's no way of putting any meaning to the concepts of space and time. So that means that, number one, the ontology of space, time, which has been the fundamental ontology of science, is over. And we don't know what the deeper ontology is yet. So this is really cool, hmm. right? The, the physics has been about space and time and what happens in space time. And now we don't know what physics is about yet. We're, we're finding these, you know, well, they're finding, I'm not. I'm, the, the physicists are finding these these polytopes, these geometric structures beyond space time. We don't know what they're about we don't know if there's any dynamics that we're missing that what that whole world is about we don't know we've only mm-hmm. seen the structures in the last 12 to 15 years so so we're we're just like we've got our flashlights on them but and we know that they're there and and we know that they work but w- w- what it's about w- we don't know so it's right. pretty pretty exciting stuff
0: right cuz like i know that uh, i remember somebody telling me like you know time travel The way that time travel would work is that, like the because of the speed of light, like if you had a really long telescope and you were in another universe and you had it and it was ten million light years away or whatever, you would see like the dinosaurs and stuff, right? But that's still just on the surface of the interface. So even you could go even deeper below
1: that, you could find out a shortcut. That's that's really an interesting possibility. I mean, we haven't worked that out yet, but but right now you're you're absolutely right. To get to the nearest star, it's it's um, you know it would take several years at the speed of light. And to the to the nearest galaxy would take several million years. The Andromeda galaxy is I don't know like 2.4 million light years away or something like that. It's so you know you're not going to make it, your grandkids aren't going to make it, your great great grandkids aren't going to make it. How you know how, how do we get there? Well, if space-time isn't fundamental if it's basically just a data structure, a headset that we've evolved, then if we're sharp enough to figure out what's behind that data structure, maybe we won't have to go through space time, we can go around it. So maybe we'll find ways of just, I want to go to Proxima, star, Proxima Centauri, one of the nearest star, uh, I don't have to spend years at the speed of light going through space, I, maybe I'll be able to figure out how to go around space. Uh, just like when Maxwell came up with the equations of electromagnetism, all of a sudden we found a way to just uh, talk to people on the other side of the world without having to to, to do what we thought we would have to do. So new technologies um, will open up all these new possibilities. So now I'm not saying that the physicists have found how to, found out how to go around space time yet, but mm-hmm. so I'm not saying that that's established. But I am saying that you know it, it's a tantalizing possibility, and once we understand these structures beyond space time. That's we always know that there will be new technologies every time our science advances, technology comes along that that it seems miraculous compared to what we had before. So I expect right. the same here. So that's what I think the
0: question is that I'm sure you're trying to answer is what is what is behind the curtain? What is the real reality? If, the, if what we're living in is kind of maybe just an interface and a perception of we're not seeing the real reality, what is behind the curtain?
1: Right. So our theories are good enough to tell us where they stop, right? So space-time is doomed. We, our theories tell, But our theories don't tell us what's behind the curtain, right? And so that's why it's sort of fun for the new physicists and also for, you know, cognitive scientists like me to ask, okay, wow, so our theories aren't going to tell us what's beyond space and time. So we get to, you know, make creative leaps, come up with our own ideas about what's beyond space and time, and you, there you can get any ideas that you want, you know, in any way you want to. Maybe it's, uh, you know, drinking or smoking or some, something, or, you know, whatever it might be. But eventually you have to get it mathematically precise, be sober, and then go make predictions that you can test inside space and time. So the, the idea that I'm playing with is that consciousness is fundamental. So this turns everything around. Most of my, my colleagues, for example, um, in cognitive neuroscience, Um, think that space and time is fundamental, because that's the way it's been until very recently, and that therefore things like brains um, are the source of consciousness. Somehow brain activity causes our conscious experiences. Well, space-time isn't fundamental, so objects in space-time aren't fundamental. That means particles like protons, electrons, gluons, and so forth, these aren't fundamental. These are just part of the interface, and so is the brain. So it's not going to be making consciousness because in some sense um, the brain doesn't even exist when it's not perceived. All of these things, all objects in space and time, just like the objects in your virtual reality headset. Like if I'm, if I'm playing a game of Grand Theft Auto in a VR headset, I look over and I see a red Camaro. Well, I, the Camaro only exists when I look. As soon as I turn my headsets over there and see a, a white Porsche, I've deleted the, the red Camaro And there is no red Camaro in the computer. If you looked, if you looked in the supercomputer, there's no red Camaro in there. There's, there's diodes and resistors and software and and voltages, but there's no red Camaro anywhere. The only red Camaro is the one I made when I looked over there. And that Camaro disappeared when I looked over there and saw a white, a a white Ferrari or whatever I saw over there. So we're making the stuff up on the fly and then deleting it as soon as we look away. And that's true of the brain. We, we create brains and neurons when we look inside skulls. And as soon as we look away, we delete them. Now, there is some reality we're interacting with. Just like with, when I see the, the, the red Camaro, there is a reality I'm interacting with in that metaphor. But it's nothing like a red Camaro. It's not red. It's not Camaro-shaped. It's nothing like it. It's like circuits and software and diodes and resistors, something utterly different. And so, so the same thing is going to be true about brains and neurons. The, 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 that's what we see when we look in a certain way. But what we're really interacting with is nothing in space and time. And so I'm proposing with my colleagues, Chaitan Prakash and Manish Singh and Robert Prentner and Chris Fields and and other brilliant colleagues that I've been working with, we're proposing a mathematical model of consciousness. So we're, we're turning things around. We're saying instead of saying that the brain or, you know, maybe the right kinds of artificial intelligences can create consciousness, it's the other way around. We have a mathematical model of consciousness. We have to show how that could lead to the creation of space and time as a data structure, and then to objects like brains inside that data structure. So the idea would be consciousness creates space and time, and it creates brains. Just the, just the reverse. Instead of having brains create consciousness, it's consciousness creates brains.
0: So how do you do that? How do you, how do you find out that formula?
1: Well, so we, we've published one. So if, if people are interested and want to just see what this would look like. We have a paper called objects of consciousness so if you just google my name and objects of consciousness it's online for free so you can just pick it up real easy and you can see what we did but in, at top level if you think about it if you want a scientific theory of consciousness there's lots of things that that are going to have to be talked about in consciousness there's um, the notion of a self perhaps free will learning memory problem solving intelligence planning the raw experiences of, you know, tasting chocolate or having a headache. All these things, all these things are going to be part of, of what we want to talk about in consciousness. So for a scientist, creating a theory of consciousness, we want to take the smallest number of parts of consciousness, the smallest aspect of consciousness that we can get away with, turn that into mathematics because we want to then prove all the rest follows. You don't, you don't want to assume everything because then it's all, everything's a miracle. If you just assume everything, I'm going to assume free will, I'm going to assume selves, I'm going to assume learning. If I assume all that stuff, there's there's no work for me to do. So what we've assumed in our theory is uh, what we think is a very minimal set. We assume that there are conscious experiences and that they can affect other conscious experiences. So we have this idea of, of conscious units or conscious agents, but uh, the word agent may bring in the notion of a self. So I'll call it a conscious unit for the moment. And these conscious units have a certain set of conscious experiences that they could have, like a headache or the smell of garlic or something like that. And they can probabilistically affect the conscious experiences of other conscious units. That's it. That's all we assume. And from that, we can prove that in principle, we can boot up uh, learning, memory, um, problem-solving, even a a notion of self, uh, but as a a construct, not as a fundamental thing, but as a construct of, of consciousness. So. And then the other thing we have to do is to then show how we would get space and time arising from a theory in which consciousness is fundamental. And to do that, we're going to first have to show how we can get the kinds of new structures that the physicists are finding, right? They're finding these things called the amplitudehedron, the cosmological polytope, these these geometries that I was talking about uh-huh. behind space and time. And And so we... We have a way of doing that We, in, in principle where we're looking at the long-term or what's called the asymptotic behavior of these interacting conscious agents. When you look at the asymptotics, you get um, a description in terms of permutations that, that's a way of describing the asymptotics. And it turns out that permutations are the heart of the new structures that the physicists are finding. So that's going to be the connection that we go after. So we'll have this... So, what's interesting is we'll have this theory of consciousness, where consciousness is fundamental, and a dynamics. And when we project that dynamics onto just its long-term behavior, which is a great simplification of of the dynamics, then we find out that we're getting all these permutations coming out, and combinations of permutations. Well, that turns out to be the the backbone of the structures that the physicists are finding beyond space-time. So so we'll connect there hmm. and then the physicists tell us how to get from there into spacetime. So we'll so the physicists have done half the work for us already. Okay. And so that's how I hope to see this thing work out.
0: Cuz then the other th- the other two things that I think are going on right now is like you know people are making these virtual reality they're doing the metaverse. So they're making a virtual reality so they're doing that way and then also the robotics with the AI that's another uh avenue. Is it does that do those two uh fields kind of uh connect to yours at all?
1: Well, well, yes. I think that the metaverse is going to be a big help here in psychologically. Right now, the, when I talk about this stuff, people of my generation just find it almost impossible. I mean, this is like, give me a break. You're saying that the brain doesn't create consciousness, consciousness creates the brain, that, that's, and that the brain doesn't exist when it's not perceived. I create the brain when I look, and I delete it. I, I create the moon when I look, and then when I look away, the moon doesn't exist. How how can you even think about that? But for someone, some kid that spent most of his life, you know, playing with friends in the metaverse, he's going to take off his headset and, and know that everything that he saw there was something that he created on the fly. If he saw a red Ferrari in in virtual reality or in the metaverse, that was because he made up the red Ferrari. There's no red Ferrari there. It's, it's all virtual. So when he takes off his headset. Uh, the the kind of stuff I'm talking about will be, of, well, of course, this won't be a big deal. Uh, so, so I think the metaverse, the next generation that's raised on the metaverse will just sort of get this. Uh-huh. It, my, my, my generation doesn't get it, but, but we didn't have this technology to help our imagination. But it won't take a big imagination for the next generation to get this. So I think it will really, really help. Um, AI... Well, well I mean, AI helps in a, in a very, very different way. So a lot of my colleagues right now are trying to figure out how AIs could become conscious. Right? If we get them programmed in the right way, they could become conscious. Right? The, the, the attitude is, look, um, we know that machines can be conscious. The brain is a machine. It's a carbon-based machine, and it generates consciousness. So if, if carbon-based machines can create consciousness, why not silicon or other kinds of Hardware, machines, why can't they create consciousness? If, if, so the idea of most of my colleagues is that if you have the right function, the right software running effectively in on the hardware, then you can somehow create consciousness. Um, so what I'm saying is that that approach won't work because space time isn't fundamental consciousness isn't being booted up from physical stuff it's the other way around the physical stuff is being booted up from consciousness so but do i think that we could eventually build things that are ais that that effectively are conscious i think so but or is but there in a the way to
0: transfer way? if someone's dying could they transfer their consciousness into a virtual reality or into an ai robot
1: well so that's a that's a great question and and it really helps, I think, to clarify the different issues here. So the, the way that most of my colleagues think about this is they would say, look, if, we, if we're if we thinking about the brain as creating consciousness and as somehow the programs running in the brain that are really critical to that, once we can sort of decipher what those programs are, we could download those programs into a computer and run those programs on a computer and the computer would have your consciousness. So we could download all of your 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 personality and your consciousness into that computer. But notice that that's assuming that the computer exists when it's not perceived, right? And, and the AIs exist when they're not, but even space-time itself doesn't exist when it's not perceived. So, no objects in space-time exist. So, that whole framework of, of downloading into another physical system to preserve your consciousness has to be rethought from the get-go. But here's how, here's how I think we can rethink it. There, there, but this, you have to really think out of the box here. Okay. <laughs> so so when i am talking with you with with chuck i i know that i'm interacting with your consciousness i i believe that your consciousness is being affected by things that i'm saying but by ideas in my mind are affecting your ideas and your ideas are affecting my ideas back and forth how is that happening well through our bodies well what are our bodies we used to think that the bodies were these physical things that it just always existed. They were there, right, in space and time. Now we realize that the bodies are like the Ferrari in virtual reality. It's there when you create it, and it's not there when you don't. So, so what's going on here? Well, your body really, the body that I see of Chuck, and right now I'm only seeing it through Zoom. So I'm really only seeing pixels on the screen. But nevertheless, I'm getting a portal into your conscious experiences. and And my body, as you perceive it, is your portal into my conscious experiences. So instead of thinking of of our bodies as creating conscious experiences, think the other way around. I am creating a body image of Chuck, which is my portal into a consciousness behind that, which is Chuck's consciousness, which I'm not creating Chuck's consciousness. Chuck's consciousness is there, but I'm getting access to it through my portal. Now, when I look at my cat, my portal isn't as good. I have some idea about the consciousness I'm interacting with. Mm. And when I look at a, an ant, my portal is, is quite poor. Now I'm, I'm not even sure it is conscious. You know, I, mm. who knows? When I have a portal that I call, you know, like a, a, a rock, now my portal is giving me no insight into consciousness. But that is no surprise. Space-time is just an interface. It's going to dumb things down. So I have better insight into Chuck than I have into my cat, better insight into my cat than into a rock. But that's not because... I'm not dealing with consciousness is because my interface has to give up at some point so so as a result once we understand how these portals work and we have one technology for building new portals right we, we have to reverse engineer it so the, the one technology that we all know we can use to build new portals into consciousness is very low tech it's having kids when you have kids you are building new portals into consciousness that were never there before. So we have That's to reverse. Yeah, you're down. creating life. You're creating life and consciousness. And you're accessing a consciousness that will surprise you. You kids will surprise you. Um, you know, I'm sure Einstein surprised his dad <laughs> with his theory of relativity. So, our, our, so we, we're creating new portals that, that are not the same as us. They're, they, they're opening up new windows into consciousness where we can be surprised by what we learn. So once we understand this whole business of it's not bodies creating consciousness, bodies don't even exist. Space-time doesn't even exist. Space-time is doomed. Bodies and space-time are data structures in our consciousness. And some of those data structures open good portals into consciousness, Others are, you know, like my rock structure is not a very good portal into consciousness. It's very good for other things, but not for me understanding consciousness.
0: So there, there, there may be some other world or some because where is that consciousness coming from? I mean, it's, it's coming from somewhere.
1: Outside of space and time. So that's so that somewhere, but, but not in space and time. Space and time itself is just a data structure. Hmm. So this, the, the theory of conscious agents that I'm working on is, is a theory in which there are, there are countless conscious agents and in some sense, they're they're just in this abstract space. They don't need space and time except as a user interface to interact with each other. Huh. But they're not trapped in space. So it's and like time. something
0: basically we can't even wrap our head around. Is what you're saying?
1: Well, I, I think some of us older folks will be able to wrap our heads around it. But I think the younger generation will will, will just laugh at us. And they'll 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 go you know. You just had a hard time because you weren't used to it when you grew up. Just like people would think, you know, before Maxwell, the idea that you could talk with someone on the other side of the world immediately is just insane. That's just, that's just magic. Um, but, but we just take it for granted and we're not too worried about it. But, but the, uh, I want to just say in tr- terms of what you mentioned about artificial intelligence and consciousness. So now what would happen is if we understand how to build new portals, Then it may turn out that when we build new portals, it may involve technology that looks like artificial intelligence. It might look like circuits and software, but but what will happen will be very, very different. It won't be that these pre-existing circuits and software are somehow giving rise to consciousness. It's rather that consciousness has a user interface and certain tools in that interface by which it's opening a new portal into consciousness. And that tool, that portal happens to look like an artificial intelligence. And so it's going to be, a, so yeah, wow. so the answer is, yes, AIs could be conscious, but it's very, very different from the way standard people are thinking about it. They're, they're thinking a real physical system that really exists and might not be conscious, programmed correctly, could become conscious. And I'm saying that whole way of thinking is wrong because space-time is doomed. But if we think of these things as data structures that we're using, and the AI is just a data structure that we create as a portal, then yes, we may be able to create AIs as data structures um, that only exist when we use them, (laughs) right? That portal only exists when we, even my kid, my, my data structure for my kid only exists when I use it. My kid's consciousness is there all the time. But, but I have no access to it unless I use my portal to get access to, to my kid's consciousness. So so there is something that exists, it's consciousness, and we get portals to it um, that that are only existing when we use the portal. Hmm, do you think that like with dreams and
0: meditation and, and to another degree drugs, psychedelic drugs, or do you think you're kind of getting a peek into those portals, or is it is that something totally different?
1: It's quite possible. Uh, it's, it's quite possible that, that dreams and drugs may, may be giving us new portals in the following sense. It might be, for example, that our portals are such that, that they can be tweaked. Right? So I'm getting an access to consciousness in a certain way, to, to, to other conscious consciousnesses in a certain way through, through portals but maybe my interface can be tweaked by by drugs and and then I will see new aspects of consciousness that I didn't see before. That's quite possible. It's also possible by the way that some drugs give portals and others just sort of screw things up, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's quite possible as well. So we're going to have to, to to really answer your question deeply, Chuck, we'll have to really um, have a good understanding of the mathematics of this conscious realm that I've been talking about. And my paper with my colleagues, is, is a first step, but I'm sure that, you know, it's just 1.0, there'll be 10.0 and 20.0 and so forth. We'll be developing deeper and deeper mathematical models. So mine is not the final word by anything, it's just a, like a baby step in, in the direction we have to go. But once we've made further advances, we'll then be able to understand what, more about what consciousness is up to, what these portals are like, and then we'll be able to ask, okay, what is 5-MeO-DMT <clears throat> doing? What is, you know, POT doing? What, 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 what are these very, you know, what is uh, LSD doing? Huh. Because we'll be able to reverse engineer these things. We'll say, well, so DMT, um, that's just a user interface symbol. What does it mean in terms of this network of conscious agents? What, when, I see, when I see something I like call DMT, what does that chemical structure really mean in terms of conscious agents? Okay, now that I know what that means with conscious agents, how is that affecting the dynamics of conscious agents? How is that affecting my portal? To conscious agents and is it really giving me new insights or is it just screwing things up so we'll be able to answer this but you can see we have a little bit of homework to do um before we before we can answer that question i i, I probably won't get to it before dinner so
0: no <laughs> no but there's a lot of things that i feel like some of this stuff could be connected that's why i right yeah, you're right I feel like like connecting the like there's so many mysteries in the world that i just feel like this has to be, there's something going on here that we don't understand, or that, is there some sort of connection?
1: I think so. What's interesting here is that this idea that consciousness is fundamental, and we can do a mathematical model of it, means that there's connections outside of space and time that we didn't see before. Space. We, we always thought that everything had to go through space-time. We, we had hints of, of something beyond with entanglement. So in, in quantum physics, we have this notion of entanglement, and we have... Um, we can have particles that are, you know, millions of light years apart that are entangled and changing the state of one. In some sense, we know that it instantaneously changes the state of the other. But with entanglement, you can't actually send information through space-time. It's interesting. You you know the correlations are there, but you can't send information using them. But once we get a dynamics of consciousness beyond space-time, uh, we may find something even deeper than entanglement that would allow us to actually um, go around space time, as we talked about before. And so, so I, I agree that there's going to be all sorts of connections that um, we're going to see that were hidden by our user interface of space and time. Um, and technologies are going to come out of this. They're going to be mind blowing.
0: Well, do you think that someone's already studying this, That, but it's it's in secret, like the government is studying this stuff secretly that we don't know about?
1: Uh, I really doubt that they're much further ahead than the physicists. Um, th- this, so I, I would guess that, um, the, if there are people in the government that are interested in this, they're, they're just trying to keep up with reading the papers of, of the guys like Neymar, Connie Hamed and Ed Witten and Juan Maldesena. I mean, th- these guys are, are super geniuses and, uh-huh. I mean, and they're super creative there's very, very few people in the entire earth that could do what they're doing. So, so I, I, my guess is that if you go to the Institute for Advanced Study at Princeton, where a lot of these guys are, uh, that's where it's happening. Uh, and, and they're collaborators around the world. But that's, that's where this stuff is happening. I'm sure that um, the, the really brilliant physicists that are involved, perhaps in secret operations at the government, are, are following this. I mean, they, be, they begin to realize the implications of this and, and that even the quantum isn't fundamental. Uh-huh. Like quantum computing isn't fundamental there's there's this we 'll we'll of course go through a quantum computing stage and it 'll be fantastic and, and liberating but going outside of space time that 's a completely different and deeper game than than the quantum so so i my, my of course i don 't know i 'm not inside those government agencies or anything, but my guess is this stuff is so hard and so new that any government agency right now is just trying to play catch up to find out what you know with with, with the ideas that are coming out of the the the, the physicist labs that are really at the forefront of this. And the math is really hard. So, I mean, there's very few people who who could actually be contributing at at a fundamental level. But, you know, that would probably change in 20 years. In 20 years, um, when the groundwork is really established, then just like we expect that, you know, the NSA probably has some of the best quantum computer hackers in the world. Right, I would expect that in twenty years, the the federal government will have some of the best uh, spacetime hackers in the world. Right, because I would think,
0: yeah, somebody's going to use this technology, this for power. So it seems like to be always what happens with these kinds of things. If if they're, I mean, if you really, because then you're talking about being able to control everything at a fundamental level. I mean, that's that's some scary power.
1: Yeah, if if you can play with the very structure of space time and even go around space time, um you're playing a completely different game than anybody else. And I'm sure everybody else is just going to be completely vulnerable to you. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> right. So then, you know. So if we talked about if it was a simulation. Um, so it's either – because we have not invented a, a, f- a full vo- virtual reality simulation, like a, ver- a really good one. So either we're the last one to do it, like maybe there's billions before us and then we're the last one, or we're the first one, right? I mean it's got to be one or the other.
1: Are you think about like Nick Bostrom's ideas and so forth about simulation theory and so forth?
0: Yeah, or like uh, – I think it was Neil deGrasse D- D- Tyson's. It's like if we are capable of making simulated reality on this planet – then the odds of us not being in a sim- simulation are billions to one, like because either it's happened a billion times before, or or and we are the absolute first conscious beings. So like, how do you distinguish which one it is?
1: Right. So the way that Nick Bostrom and, and Neil deGrasse Tyson are thinking about this is is fundamentally different from what I'm saying. So this is a good way to really contrast the ideas. What in the standard simulation kinds of Theories that Nick and, and 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 Neil are talking about, they still assume space time is fundamental. But hmm. so there's this there's this the fundamental the base level the first geek with their computer that's running the the base level simulation that's a physical world a space and time world. Oh. All of the other worlds are simulations uh, built out of it. Right. And 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 I'm saying something even wilder than that. The the base level. Is not in space and time. It's consciousness all the way down. So it, it's it's consciousness outside of at no point is space time fundamental and consciousness inside of it. It's the other way around. Consciousness um, and, and, and countless kinds of consciousness. Now, I, I should say a little bit about, about that. But countless different kinds of consciousness are out there. Only a few of them use space and time, most of them are going to use other kinds of, of ways of interacting with each other. Space-time is just one of countless interfaces and also countless kinds of experiences. So the kinds of experiences that we have of color and smell and shapes and sounds and so forth of touches um, are a trivial subset of all the kinds of experiences. When you have psychedelics, you get a little hint that there's a lot more than, than your normal experience. Well, that that is trivial compared to what this theory is saying. That the, it's an, a boundless, endless variety of conscious experiences, of, of kinds that you and I can't even imagine, and that's all out there, and, and they're all being enjoyed by various kinds of conscious entities out there. So, so yeah, it's, it's a completely different thing than the simulation theory in that in that sense. Right? Okay. Very. very- yeah.
0: So when we, when we have kids and we open up the portal and we create a life, that's one way. But then, so then when we die, then what, what does happen? What, do we go back to, through that portal to, or is it another consciousness or where what happens?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I mean, we all have some skin in the game, so we're all interested yeah. in, in the answer to that, that question. And I'm very interested. The, the answer is, um, I don't know. Here's, here's some, some options that I'm I'm playing with. One is that um, there's, there's two aspects to our consciousness that, that are important here. One is just the raw conscious awareness without any content. So it's just being – like if you are in a dark room and you let go of all thought and you just are and you just, you're just aware of being but not aware of anything in particular, that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Or, or to put it another way, here's another way that you can get, a, get an idea of what I'm talking about. If you, if you close your eyes and just pay attention to your visual world in front of you, you'll notice that what it, you experience is just like dark, but it's a mottled gray or something like this. It's mm-hmm. dark, okay? But now, with your eyes still closed, instead of paying attention in front of you, pay attention behind you. What is it like back there?
0: Yeah, well, I can't... It's not
1: mottled gray. It's nothing.
0: Yeah, I can't... It's
1: just, it's, it's just being, Right? Right. It's really when you do it, it's sort of freaky, and like most of us never have even gone there. But if you can, you can go there and sort of freak yourself out. In front of me, I yeah, it feels like there's something gray, and right. but behind me, what is it like? Well, it's like nothing. It's just being without anything. That's what I'm talking about. Is that's what there's one aspect of us that I think will definitely survive. But now what about the, the sort of the interface story? So, you know, Hoffman, son of so-and-so, went to such-and-such such place for school, likes to eat such-and-such such for breakfast. That kind of stuff, I don't know if that will survive. I don't know if that, that kind of stuff may be the stuff that just isn't needed anymore when you, when you die. So maybe, because this, is, this is, gets out of a deep question, what is consciousness up to? If consciousness is fundamental, what is it doing and why, right? Well, that's, and and that's my other
0: question. Yeah. I was like, why, like, so then what is the purpose? If, if this is almost kind of like a simulation that we're in and uh, like, what is the, what is the purpose of of being here? What, what are we doing here if we're not even seeing the real reality Is this a game that we're in or what is the point?
1: Well, that would be like the deepest, one of the deepest questions we could ask. (laughs) The the answer is I, I don't know, but, but I have, I've only seen one idea that is deep enough to at least be worth thinking about. I'm not saying it's right. Okay. I'm just saying that no idea that I've ever seen is, is, is really deep enough for me to take it seriously. But this one idea is, um, and it's from uh, Kurt Gödel, a, a mathematician, log- logician, who, like in 1930 or 1931, he, sh- he proved that, that effectively there's no end to the exploration of mathematical structure. There's no end to it no matter how so if you have you know a system of axioms for mathematics he proved that that system of axioms there will be things that are true but cannot be proven within that system and if you add those new truths to your set of axioms there'll be yet new things that are true but can't be proven so so mathematics has infinite job security no matter how far you've gone you've only effectively scratched the surface of, of the possibilities of mathematics Now, how is that related to your question about what is consciousness up to? Well, if consciousness is all there is, then the only thing that mathematical structure can be about is about the possibilities of consciousness. That's all there is for it to be about. So that means that there's endless possibilities for the varieties of conscious experience. Endless, in principle. No one can be omniscient about it. Mm-hmm. So maybe what consciousness is up to is enjoying the exploration of all of its possibilities. And that, that, mm-hmm. that exploration is endless, literally endless. Uh, and and so I'm, again, I'm not saying that this is right, but this is the kind of thinking we're going to have to do out of the box to, to answer these kinds of questions. So I don't want anybody to take what I've just said um, and, and, and use it to stop their creative thinking. I would rather say this is just the first idea. Let's, let's think even more wildly about what consciousness might be up to. But it, it's not going to be any simpler or any less profound than that. But hopefully it'll be, we'll see something even more profound and, 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 and deep than the idea that I just put out there. So consciousness may be up to the exploration of all of its infinite and boundless varieties. And what consciousness does is it um, tries on different headsets. It tries on a Chuck Shoot headset in, in a space-time interface. It tries on a Don Hoffman headset in, in a space-time interface and plays with that and learns what it can. And part of it in that case, it, it also uh, has itself do a little podcast between the, its Don and its uh, Chuck uh, headset uh, guys <laughs> and, and learn something more about itself in, in that process. So that would be a very different way of looking about everything that we're doing with people. It, it certainly sort of takes the... The fundamental notion of competition out of things. It's it's rather, we're all part of consciousness exploring itself. And and, and it's very interesting that consciousness would then be allowing itself to fight itself. What is it learning by that?
0: Right. So maybe then it's it's to go out there and to have as many conscious experiences as you can to go out and smell the flowers and take a hike and go to a concert and taste uh, the chocolate and everything. Try it all.
1: That, that's exactly right. And everything that people are doing, exploring music, exploring creative writing, writing novels, exploring with drugs, doing you know, exploring in science, all these things is, is just consciousness um, playing in what I call Girdle's candy store. Girdle, you know, he said there's this infinite variety of... Um, of possibilities of mathematics. So there's this infinite candy store, and there's and, and so what you don't want to do is get stuck on just one candy. If you right. get stuck on one candy, you're missing the rest of the store. So so the idea so maybe that's what death is about. So it, it needs to do the Don Hoffman thing for a while, but don't get stuck on it. Now we'll we'll get rid of the Don Hoffman thing and move on to something else.
0: Hmm. Okay. Wow. Deep stuff. Really fascinating, <laughs> amazing. I got a lot to think about now. Um, now can people donate to your
1: research? Well well it, that would be be great if they wanted to. Um, there, you can give gifts to the University of California, at Irvine. So okay. Yeah, you, I always
0: end each episode with a charity of the of the guest, so I just figured that would be the best thing for you, as people could donate to the research. I think that'd be amazing.
1: Oh, that, that's that's a really good idea. So, if you send a a, a check to the University of California um, and say that it's to support the research of Donald Hoffman. Okay. Um, then, then the money would go to the university and it would then 100% of it would go to, to fund this research. So, okay. um, or you they can buy your, me. they can
0: also buy your book that helps you as well. Sure. I'll put the link to that in the notes. I, I listened to it on audible. So it's, it, it's kind of nice if you don't like reading books, you can listen to them, but, uh, it's the same material.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, the other case against reality goes into all these ideas and in in um some detail it's, it's more about the evolutionary thing that we talked about it mm-hmm. has a chapter of consciousness at the end but i plan hopefully to write a book on consciousness and go into it in more detail later
0: okay well yeah you'll have to come back when you finish that one we can talk about it and uh how come wait you have not done joe rogan yet have you uh, you need to get on joe that's like the one show you haven't done
1: i uh, know i haven't been invited to to be on joe's show i i just had the pleasure of talking with lex friedman um uh, on his podcast show oh, just a couple one. days ago so wow. that'll probably come out in a few weeks okay um but you know if if i mean i'd be happy to talk with if joe if, if he's if he finds it interesting if, if oh not, no that's fun too.
0: for sure it's a fascinating topic you've done some great work and uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come on my show i appreciate it
1: thanks so much chuck it's a pleasure thanks for inviting me
0: fascinating stuff from dr donald hoffman i think i have more questions and answers now uh, but if you want to learn more check out dr hoffman's book the case against reality or if you want a bit of a different take you can check out my dad's book ultimate reality and uh, check out the episode i did with him it's a uh, number 115 and dr hoffman is on twitter i don't think he's on the other social media uh, but i'm on everything so you can follow me on there that helps to support the show as does your likes comments and shares uh, make sure to subscribe to the show on youtube or wherever you listen to get updated on future episodes and if you really want to go out and support the show i'd love for you to write me a review on apple podcasts or give me a rating on spotify or wherever you listen uh, that kind of stuff helps helps it so more people will find the podcast and we only grow through you uh, we don't have a big corporation backing us up here it's all just grassroots so i appreciate any support you can give me it helps out a lot thank you so much for listening Have a great rest of your day and remember to shoot for the moon.